turned on. Now I'm turned on. Let me just start over. Play the video again. Uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah, I can't believe. Thank you. I can't believe I wasn't turned on. I didn't even realize it. So anyway, Loving Choice is a great pro-life organization. If you didn't hear that, and some of you looking to serve, it's a great organization to get plugged in with. And I'm thrilled that we're able to, to give that much money through baby bottles. And um, just, I, I tell you, I said this a few weeks ago. Right now, Christians need to be at our very best. Okay, we need to be at our very best right now. So hey, welcome to New Life. My name is Joe. If this is your first time here, I get to be the lead pastor here, and I'm glad you're here. And if you're watching online for the very first time, welcome. Glad you're here as well today. And, and if you are looking for a church, I know how hard that can be. And uh, I pray and hope that your search ends today, that the Lord just tells you this is where you're supposed to be because I can tell you how we feel. We want you to be here. And so I hope that this is a great match. If you have any questions at all, feel free to ask me, anybody. We'd love to tell you everything that we know about the church. Hey, before we go to the word though today, can, would you like to see something kind of cool? I'm not really convinced, so let's just move on. No, now, would you like to see something that's kind of cool? I think it's kind of cool. All right, all right. So, um, you know we're working on our West Campus, and you keep hearing me talk about work is, is going on, but some of you, I know, have been a little frustrated because you drive by it and you can't see it because we still have some trees that are gonna go away eventually. But I thought um, Tim Jaycox, he's a member of our church, shot some drone footage the other day, and I thought I'd just share with you a little bit of the footage from the air so you can kind of see what's going on. Here, why don't you guys roll that footage real quick. So this is, you can see the highway back there, it's I-49, this is the Highlands Boulevard exit, and here is you would come onto our campus from here, and this would be kind of the main drive going in, and so you can see they've done quite a bit of work getting the site prepared. So the building is going to be sitting right in this area here, this is one of the parking lots, there's going to be another big parking lot going that way, but uh, they're getting ready to start doing some real digging and work here soon. So I just thought you guys would like to see that. Now, that's kind of cool don't you think? Absolutely. I think that's cool. So I just wanted to show you progress is being made and uh, soon you're going to start seeing a structure go up and, and we're working on getting some of those trees removed from that's blocking the view from the highway. That's very important to us that we get rid of that so people can actually see what's going on from the highway. Man, God is good. God is good. And uh, a year from now, we're going to be, our, our church, I'm telling you, we're gonna be in a different world a year from now. And when we go multi-site, and it's gonna be fantastic. But that's on the far west side. God's doing amazing things. Can we pray about it? And then we'll go to the word. Lord, we just give you praise. We see that video, and we're just so grateful for what you have led us through to this point. And Lord, we look forward to the day when, when we can expand our reach and that, Lord, I pray for those right now who, who are sitting at home and they're not thinking a thing about you. But Lord, when that building goes up and the ministry continues to expand that direction, Lord, we will reach them and they will become followers of you. And so Lord, we just thank you in advance for the work that will happen with people who have no clue that their lives are gonna be transformed by the gospel. So Lord, we give you praise for what you're doing. We ask for your help and wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You got your Bibles? Please open to the book of James. The book of James is where we're gonna be today. And we are continuing our little short two-part sermon series called That Kind of Faith. And as you're finding the book of James, find your way to James chapter three. And thus as you're finding that, let me just kind of refresh your memory of where we were last week because last week's sermon and today's sermon are connected. They go together. Last week in chapter two of the book of James, he asked a very direct, somewhat uncomfortable question of the church he's writing to and by default to us today. And he asked this question, 
question, um, very, very straightforward question. If someone claims to have faith, in other words, I believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. I believe that Jesus is going to come back and rescue the church, and we're going to be together for all eternity. I believe it. If someone claims to have that faith, but yet has no deeds, in other words, nothing about their life reflects anything of what they believe. That doesn't, you know, they don't serve the Lord, they don't think about the Lord, there's no prayer, there's no, there's no actions at all. If somebody claims to believe this, but there is nothing about their life that remotely reflects it, all talk, no action, can that kind of faith <clears throat> save anybody? And James answers his question, and the answer is no. He calls that a dead faith. It's a lifeless thing. There's no life to it. Instead, what does God desire? God desires a dynamic faith, not a dead faith, a dynamic faith. What is a dynamic faith? A dynamic faith is when a person trusts Christ and they become a whole new person. There is a transformation that has taken place. The Bible calls it, they have become a new creation in Christ transformation. They start to see the world through a different set of lenses. They begin to see the world how God sees the world. And the things that they believe produces action in their life. It's, it's obvious that they have gone through change. So James talks about faith and our actions and they cannot be separated. They cannot be disconnected. They are connected by the hip. And I hope that all of us in the church today would be like, well, yeah, duh. Of course faith and actions go together. This is elementary Christianity. Of course we want that represented in our lives. Of course that's what God would have from us. But I'll tell you, this whole concept of faith and actions is just something inside of me that feels like needs to be driven home now more than ever. And perhaps that is simply because there is, and I see it all over the place, and if you just pay attention, you'll see it too. There is a version of Christianity that is becoming more and more prevalent in our country that wants to disconnect our faith and our actions. There is a false gospel that is being preached in many churches where what we believe and what we do have nothing to do with each other. That you can have actions that are completely separated from our faith and that is wrong in every single way you can look at it. Now you probably get tired of me beating this drum all the time but I cannot help it so sorry. But I'm telling you, progressive Christianity is wrecking many American churches and many Christians. Where in these kind of churches and this kind of preaching where they take what I would call doctrinal non-negotiables concerning faith and deeds. In other words, this is what the Bible says and this is how we respond to it. They take those non-negotiables and they redefine them into warm, fuzzy talking points that justify sinful behavior, absolves the Christian of any kind of accountability with anyone else in the church, and simply is no longer a reflection of genuine Christianity. It is a believe whatever you want to believe and do whatever you feel like doing version of Christianity. And why can you be that way? Because God's cool with it. And God's cool with you. Because at the end of the day, what is it? God is love. And he just wants you to be happy. And that is not what the Bible says. This version of Christianity is a lot like going to the buffet. 
You just take a little bit of what you want here and a little bit of what you want here and you don't mess with this, you don't mess with that and you create your own version of belief that is for you and your walk with God becomes very relative to you. And how does this happen? And why does this happen? And why is it so much on the rise in our country today? It is because there has been a devaluation of scripture. What used to be held in high regard is now held in low regard. And friends, let me tell you, when you devalue the inspired word of God by reducing it down to nothing more than the writings of man and the opinions of man that we can choose to follow if we feel like it or not, when we reduce the teachings of Jesus down to nothing more than some cute stories with some good moral lessons attached to it, when you do that, you have created something that God never intended to be created and it is false. So there are progressive preachers in progressive churches that are actually disconnecting faith and actions from one another and they are leading people directly towards the one thing that James warns us about, a dead faith. Now I've got many sermons on this and you've heard them and I won't belabor it right now but I simply want to affirm here at New Life Christian Church, that faith and deeds are connected at the hip, and they're gonna stay connected at the hip, and when they work together, it can produce a dynamic faith in somebody's life. We learn this from God's word, and it's God's word that is at odds with the way the world thinks, and it's always been that way, and it's always gonna be that way. So our text today, James is gonna ask us another very direct question. So last week, you know, can somebody that, that does not have any faith and deeds working together, can that faith save somebody? No. Well, here's another question. Look at chapter three, verse 13. He asked this question, who is wise and understanding among you? That's his question to the church. Who are the ones that are wise and understanding among the family of God? Who are they? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So, you saw the question? We highlighted the question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Maybe another way to ask this question would be, who are the smart people in the church? Who are the smart people among us? Who are the people that have got this thing all figured out? Now let me tell you, there is a natural connection between verse 13 that we just read and going all the way back to verse one of chapter three. I'd like you to just look back a few verses. You got your Bibles? Let's go back to the beginning of the chapter. What's it say? James, James warns the church, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I think it was accepted pretty well that teachers of this day were the ones who were considered to be the wise ones, the ones who were educated, the ones who were knowledgeable. And people would look for them for wisdom and, and teaching. 
And James tells the church, not many of you should become teachers. And then he explains why. If you keep reading the next few verses there in chapter three, he explains why, because, you know, it's very hard to control the tongue. He says it's a very small thing, but it, cre- it can create much disaster. Nobody can tame the tongue at all. And, and so evidently, maybe there were some teachers that have had some problems and, and there's gossip in the church. And he's like, listen, can I ask you a real question? Who are the wise ones? Is it the ones that everybody thinks is wise? Because you're a teacher, you're automatically wise. Are are they really the wise? Maybe you shouldn't presume to be a teacher. But let's talk about wisdom. Who are the wise ones? Is it the ones with all the degrees behind their name? Is it the one that has the classroom? Who are wise? James says, I'll show you who they are. Verse 13, show it by their good life. Those who do good deeds which is rooted in humility. And here we are right back to this idea of faith and actions. The truly wise ones, the ones who have this whole thing figured out, the ones you should listen to are those who put their faith into action. All grounded in a humble life. Now, let me just tell you, if you look at verse 13, if I was gonna say, is there one verse from the book of James that pretty much just sums up what it looks like to be an incredible Christian? I would say it's verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. You know, if you know me very well, you know I love basketball. I I talk about it from time. My my favorite is the NBA. I know a lot of you are like, no, don't give me that professional stuff. I like professional basketball. I don't watch a ton of it during the season, but man, when the playoff starts, the TV comes on, and I love the NBA playoffs. One of my favorite players of all time is Tim Duncan. Heard of him? I know many of you heard of Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan played for 19 seasons for the San Antonio Spurs. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame back in 2020. Um, He is considered the best, if not the best, one of the very best power forwards to ever play the game. 15-time All-Star, five NBA championships, and he did it all with one team, which is virtually unheard of in today's NBA. All one team. You know what I like best about Tim Duncan? Why I think I enjoyed watching him play basketball so much over the years? Because from my perspective, and, and all I have is a fan's perspective, But from a fan's perspective, Tim Duncan always struck me as just a hardworking, quiet, humble, stick to the fundamentals. You know, they called him the big fundamental. I mean, that's his nickname. He was just one of those kind of guys. And he wasn't a trash talker. He just seemed to show up, work hard, play hard, do his very best, and he was happy about it, and he seemed very kind. Now, now I don't know Tim Duncan personally. It may surprise you. I don't have his phone number. We don't talk, all right? We don't get together to grab a burger. I don't have that. I don't know the man at all. So he could be totally different in his private life. All I'm telling you is from a fan's perspective, he just seemed to be kind. He'd show up every day, and he would work hard. And when he retired, all the stories, the Tim Duncan stories from all the other players started to pour in, and they all kind of had a reoccurring theme to them. Man, Tim Duncan sure was a nice guy. Man, he was kind. Boy, you know how he helped me? You know how he encouraged me? Let me just share with you one of those stories. It's from a retired player named Eaton Thomas. Um, And when Tim retired, he shared this on social media. I actually even found the original post that he made on Facebook. And I'm just going to read you his story. This is what he said about Tim Duncan. He said, so we're playing the Spurs, and I get the ball in the post. 
And, and if, you, if you love basketball, you'll completely understand what he's talking about. He said, I inside pivot and I sweep to the middle for my jump hook and he blocks it. So as we're running down the court, he says to me, that was a good move, but you have to get more into my body so you can either draw the foul and I can't block it. What? <laughs> He's giving him advice on how to beat him? No, no, don't do that. And so Eaton said, so I didn't know if he was talking noise or was just, you know, I, so I, I just kind of looked at him confused and said, okay. Then a few plays later, I did it again, got more into his body, and he couldn't block it. Now, I missed the shot, and he looked at me and said, much better, keep playing. <laughs> he said, Tim Duncan is honestly one of the nicest guys in the NBA and one of the best power forwards ever, respect. Now, isn't that pretty much the exact opposite of any professional athlete you hear about today? <laughs> it's the exact opposite. NBCSports.com wrote this about Tim Duncan when he retired, and the words they chose kind of stuck with me. They wrote this, kindness, wisdom, humility, leadership. Those qualities are as important to Duncan's legacy as his five championship rings. Now, what I'm gonna say next is a stretch, all right? And I'm gonna ask you to use your imagination. And uh, the reason I'm saying this for you is because this is gonna strike you funny and you're gonna go, huh? So uh, I'm warning you. You ready? This is a stretch, but pretend with me. If the NBA was the church, can I just let that sink in for a minute? So you need to, this is, <laughs> this is the stretch, okay? This is a big one. If the NBA was the church, then I think maybe Tim Duncan may be the guy that James was referring to in the text. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. You know, in a nutshell, the wise ones, the, 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 the Christians that have this figured out are simply the nicest, kindest people you will ever interact with in your life. Who are the wise and understanding among the church? Well, those that have this figured out, what James is saying, are just downright the kindest people you'll ever meet. Now, now, now jump down to verse 17 because he continues his thought. We're gonna read it again. He says, the wisdom that comes down from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. James is basically listing out the attributes or the qualities of people who have figured this out. These are the qualities, the attributes of the wise. These are the ones that who put their faith in the action. This is how it comes out of them. These are the ones that have got this figured out. And let me ask you a question. I mean, don't you want more people like that in your life? I mean, you look at this list that James just, just gave to us. Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Don't you want more people like this in your life? And how would your life improve if you had more people who had this figured out in your circle? You know, I just look at this list. Like, the first word he says is pure. 
Maybe another way to look at that idea of pure is innocent. I mean, this is just somebody that what you see is what you get. There's no impure motives. There's no hidden agenda. They're not wearing a mask. They're just who they are is who they are, and they walk with Jesus. They make no bones about it. They're just a pure person, completely innocent. And I wonder, do you have anybody like that in your life today? I do. His name is Warren. Warren's one of the first guys that comes to my mind when I'm studying the book of James. Warren is one of the strongest Christians that I know. And I'm gonna share some things about Warren. And and if he were here, he would deny every one of them and he would be completely embarrassed that I'm talking about him. So that's why I didn't ask his permission, all right? I've known Warren since Bible college. He's a preacher in Illinois. And um, every time I spend time with Warren, I walk away going, yep, Lord, I'm not there yet, am I? I, I? You've got work. You got people in your life that when you spend time with them, you walk away and go, yeah, I got work to do on myself. You know, that Warren makes me feel that way, but in a, in a good way, in a good way. A couple months ago, I was in Joplin, Missouri, and Warren happened to be there at the same time, so we got together and had lunch. And the waitress came to our table, and she's about to take our order, like, you know, like any other time would be, hey, what can I get you guys? And I'm about to give my order. And Warren goes, hey, what's your name? And she kind of looked shocked. She gave us her name. And he goes, okay. He goes, well, my name is Warren, and this is my friend Joe. We're both pastors. I'm like, well, what are you doing? This isn't the drill, Warren. And he goes, we're both pastors. And I just wanted to know if there's anything that Joe and I could be praying about for you. And she was surprised, I was surprised. And Warren looked like this was a daily exercise, and it is. And, and she said, well, since you asked, I guess you can pray for this and you can pray for that. She gave us a few things going on in her life and Warren pulls out of his pocket this little flip notebook, kind of like the police officer pulls out when he's about to write you a ticket. (laughs) He pulls one of those out and he starts writing down what she is saying. And he goes, thank you for, you know what? We're gonna pray for you and we'll keep praying for you. She said, thanks, and she walked away. And I looked at that notebook that Warren had and it is filled with this. And he told me that, yeah, I, when I meet new people, like at restaurants and other places, I, I just let them, I just ask them how I can pray for them. You wouldn't believe what kind of things we talk about. And, I, and then I do pray for them. And if you knew Warren like I knew Warren, there's no hidden agenda there. And I can promise you, he has continued to pray for her often since then. Pure, innocent. Got anybody in your life like that because of their faith in Jesus? He, he says another descriptive is peace-loving, a peace-loving person. That's somebody who's got this figured out. What does that mean to be peace-loving? No drama, just a peaceful person. Considerate is another word. In, in other words, they put others first. It, it's part of their, 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 the, who they are and how they see the world is to consider others better than themselves and to do unto others. You, do, and you just considerate person. Submissive is another word James uses. You got anybody in your life that's glad when you succeed? Happy for you when you find success? Full of mercy. You could say it like this, that there is grace and forgiveness from this person every time. They just love you. Impartial. 
They're gonna be fair in every situation. You got anybody in your life that you know no matter what, no matter what the circumstances, because they're a faithful Christian, they're gonna be fair no matter what. And then he says sincere. They just genuinely, truly love you. They're sincere. How would your life be different today if you were surrounded by people like that? And then I would say, isn't that what your church family should be like? Isn't that who you should be surrounded by right now? Isn't the church the ones who have all of this figured out? Aren't we the ones who are wise and understanding among us? Should be. James says truly wise people are like what he's describing. That's what their actions look like because of their faith. And it just pours out of them. This kind of wisdom that he's talking about, he's very clear, it doesn't come from earth. It comes from somewhere else. In fact, if you're taking notes today or you're in the app and you want to fill in the blank, why don't you write this down? True wisdom, the kind that James is talking about, it comes from above. In other words, it comes from God. This kind of stuff, this, 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 these actions that come from wisdom, the people who got this figured out, there's only one source for it, and that is God. It's given to believers. Now, just like there's two sides to every coin, there's two sides to wisdom, and James flips the coin of wisdom over for us. Let me show you the other side. Let, let me show you the, the bad part of this. If you're taking notes, write this down. False wisdom comes from below. So there is a real wisdom, a true wisdom, a heavenly wisdom comes from God, but then there's this, this false wisdom. You might call it a man-made wisdom, and that comes from the earth. That comes from down here, and, and this is something that God has nothing to do with. He even says that it's heavily influenced by the devil. He calls it demonic. What are the markers of this false wisdom? Well, there are many in this world, but James decides to point out a couple of them. Bitter envy and selfish ambition. Now look back in James chapter three, verse 14. Here's where he outlines it in the text. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, you understand what he means by harbor? It's like saying, if you drop anchor and it takes a root in your heart, I'm not talking about a temporary, oh, that guy made me so mad I could kill him. I'm not talking about that where that easily, quickly moves on. I'm talking about what James talked about. If, if this attitude of bitter envy and selfishness, if it takes a root in your heart and it drops anchor and it latches on hard in your heart, we're, we're, we're heading in the wrong direction. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it. Do not deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, and really, friends, should have no place in the body of Christ. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So bitterness, bitter envy, and selfish ambition, those are the markers of, a, of an earthly wisdom and they're not the attributes of a Christian who puts their faith into action. It's the exact opposite. And I hope you start to see in the text, these are like two sides of a coin, that, that, that this should not have this. They, they cannot cross at all. There's two kinds of wisdom. You want to know the origins of many of the world's problems today? Look no further than the wisdom of mankind that is arrogant 
and driven by envy and selfishness. You look at all the problems and you can come back to these things right here. And we're not gonna get into this a whole lot in today's message. It's really kind of another sermon. But I will just say this, that the wisdom of God, the Bible tells us, the wisdom of God, mankind finds absolutely foolish. And the reverse is true. The wisdom of man, what man thinks is so great and awesome, look what we did, is foolishness to God. They are two competing ways of thinking, and that's why there cannot be two competing ways of behaving in the church. So the foolishness of, of man is usually, you know, or the wisdom of man, rather, is foolishness in God's eyes and vice versa. The wisdom of God is foolishness in man's eyes, and so you have this tension, and he says it's demonic, spiritual in nature, and it's influenced by the enemy. The Bible contains a lot of examples of this, you can go back to the very beginning of the Bible. Man had this, mankind had this bright idea one day, and it seemed wise to them. Let's build a tower that can touch heaven. You know, God was like, oh, come on. The wisdom of man, what seems wise to man was foolish to God, and God put a stop to it. It seemed very wise for Abraham. We learned about, a lot about him in our origin series. It seemed very wise to him that when God says go to Canaan, but there was a famine, he's like, nope, I'm gonna go to Egypt. I'm gonna pretend that my wife is my sister. That was wisdom in Abraham's mind. And God's like, how foolish can you be? When Goliath came out to taunt the Israelites and David, young David said, I'll fight him. And King Saul thought, well, then let's, let's, let's be smart about this. Let's put you on with all this armor and let's load you down and let's give you some protection. That seemed to make sense. That was wisdom of man. And God said, oh, no. You just need a little slingshot and me. Slingshot and me. Man, that'd be a good book title, I think. <laughs> Somebody write that down. Next year, Slingshot and Me by Joe Williams. There will be no book, promise you. <laughs> the disciples even wrestled with the, their own wisdom versus godly wisdom or things that just, you know, the, the largest crowd they'd ever seen and all they could think about is how are we gonna feed these people? Let's send them out, let's get rid of them. And Jesus said, no, <laughs> you feed them. It turned out to be one of the greatest miracles of all time, the feeding of the 5,000. Two kinds of wisdom. There's a wisdom from above that comes from God. There's a wisdom from below that has all the markers of mankind. And, and, and I hope that all of us are like, I want God's wisdom. That's what I want. And so the natural question is, how in the world do I get it? How, how do I get this kind of wisdom? Well, Proverbs 9.10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, something has to be figured out within your spirit about God. Something about how you and God stand opposed to one another. Something has to be resolved there if you want to be wise like the Lord's talking about here. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you're taking notes, why don't you write this down. Jesus Christ is our wisdom. And I'm gonna explain this in just a moment, but just lock this in. Jesus Christ is our wisdom. The New Testament tells us as much. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Something about Jesus connects us into God's wisdom. 
1 Corinthians 1.30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 2. Says this. Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So do you want this heavenly wisdom? you want this wisdom from God to rain down? Well, the first step towards it is this, receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is the first step towards receiving this kind of wisdom. And so what does that mean to receive Christ as my Savior? Well, there's this acknowledgement. In Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord. He is the creator, and, and what has he done? That I, I have a creator, and he loved the world so much that, that he sent his son to save it. You see, sin has always been the problem. And God came himself to fix that problem. Jesus walked among for 32, 33 years of his life teaching about the kingdom of God and what it means to be saved and what it looks like to be in God's family. And then, because the only way the sin problem would ever get fixed, he sacrificed himself on a cross, shed his blood there on Calvary. He died there, laid in a tomb. Three days later, he rose back to life, conquering sin and death forever. What is it that you believe about that? You want the wisdom of God? You cannot have it until you acknowledge that Christ is your savior. So this is where it begins. Jesus Christ is our wisdom. And once that happens, how else do I get God's wisdom? Well, the Bible's very clear. The word of God is his wisdom to us. God's word, the Bible. That's why, friends, here at New Life, we will never devalue God's word. It will always be the inspired word of God because that's where we get our wisdom. That's what the Bible claims about itself. We're in real trouble if we ever move the Bible from here to here. Paul said this to, to a young preacher named Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. He says, how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, and earlier in the text is because his mom and grandma taught it to him. From a very young age, he said about these scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So we put our trust in Christ and we get inside of God's word and we begin to receive this wisdom from God. You become one of the people that have got this thing figured out. You put that in action. Where else does this wisdom come from? Well, it's very clear in scripture that we get God's wisdom through prayer through prayer. So we receive Christ, we get our head in his word, and we get on our knees in prayer. In fact, if you were to go back to the first chapter of James, chapter one, verse five, James says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. So if you're lacking understanding, if you're lacking wisdom, ask God, and what will he do? God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. If you humble yourself before God and you're like, God, teach me and show me and guide me and give me the wisdom that I need to live out my faith every day, faith and actions together, he'll do it. Absolutely. He delights in it. God always responds to the humble. He opposes the proud, but he'll always give grace to the humble. So what do you believe about God? I'm encouraged by the story of Solomon in the Old Testament. Considered the wisest man who ever lived. And he was given the opportunity to ask God for anything. What would you ask God for if he could give you anything? Lord, give me those winning numbers on that mega pick the other day. You don't have to confess it. How many of you played? No, I'm, you were hoping to pay off the building. I know, you had good intentions. 
Solomon had the opportunity to ask for anything, and he thought about it. Do you remember what he asked for? Wisdom. And God was so pleased by his request, he went ahead and gave Solomon all the other stuff he could have asked for. What do you ask God for? Wisdom. Well, friends, true spiritual wisdom, the people who have got this thing figured out understand that it comes from God. And if you're looking for wisdom in any other sources, when I mean wisdom, I'm talking about how to live out your faith. From any other source, you're asking for trouble. There is no need to get the counterfeit wisdom that the world has to offer. A wisdom that caters to the flesh and accomplishes the works of our enemy. And that's why I will stand against progressive Christianity because that's exactly what it does. It is the wisdom of man trying to be justified by the Bible. And it can't and it won't ever work. What kind of faith do you want to define your life today, church? Are you among the wise who have this figured out? What kind of faith do you want, church? Do you want a dead faith or do you want a dynamic faith? Do you want your children to look at you and say, my parents' faith was dead. They're all talking phony. Or do you want them to say, my parents were the real deal? What do you want? Do you want your faith to be all talk and nothing more? Or do you want your faith to be defined by what you believe in what you do? I said at the beginning of this message that now more than ever, the world needs to see Christians at our very best. And our very best is when we stand for righteousness and conviction on God's word, and that turns this into actions that are produced by wisdom. And we become the very things that James is talking about, and we become such a church family that we are surrounded by the very best people in all the world who enrich our lives and make us better Christians. So my challenge to you, church, my challenge to you, individual Christian in here today, is your faith right now all talk and no action? Is your daily life, your comings and goings, your decisions, your actions, is it more reflective of a worldly system or a worldly wisdom, or is it more reflective of the wisdom that comes down from God? Are you living right now the very best version of your faith in Christ. In other words, are you more like Christ today and living it out more faithfully than you were a year ago? Are you growing and maturing? Friends, I have this vision. We have this vision for the church. We're gonna talk about this next month. I want you to be here. What kind of church is new life? Are we just another run-of-the-mill congregation or are we going to be the real church who the ones that are wise that have this thing figured out? Are we going to lead our families that way? Are we going to lead out in our careers that way? Is it going to be known right here in Northwest Arkansas that there is a church in Bella Vista that absolutely stands upon God's word, won't compromise, but lead out with love and the kindness and the light of Christ? Is there going to be a church that's known for that? I say yes. I say it's us. I say it's us. So what kind of faith? I hope as you read the book of James, you say, that kind of faith. That's the kind of faith that I want. Let me pray for you, Lord. We give you thanks as always for your holy word, your inspired word, Lord. We thank you, God, for how it leads and guides and directs, shows us, Lord, how we're supposed to be. And I pray, Lord, as a church family, we always keep that way up high. 
Lord, I pray that you help us be the kind of church that James describes, the wise ones, the ones who've got this figured out. That, Lord, what we believe produces an action that's reflective of wisdom, pure, sincere, honest, impartial, loving, genuine, all of these attributes of wisdom that is the foundation for our deeds, what we do. Lord, I pray that there would be an overwhelming majority of those who call new life their home that grows towards that. And that, Lord, that would be such a powerful force for you that our whole community would take notice. And that, Lord, they would say, I, I want to get some of what they got over there. I don't know what it is, but I need to go find out. And, Lord, I pray that you help us be wise when those moments come. Lord, we pray for the day when our baptistry won't be stirred just once a week, but, Lord, it'll be stirred every single day from people of our community and beyond that want you. So, Lord, forgive us if our faith has been more like a dead faith, all talk and no action. And, Lord, forgive us of that, we pray. And move us towards dynamic faith, full of wisdom from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.